Hi, I'm Hannah. And I'm Sarah. And this is Big Small Talk. This is the podcast where we try and cover the entirety of the news cycle from the serious to the frivolous all in one place. Because loving pop culture doesn't mean you don't understand politics. We have a massive week in news this week. Today we're going to talk about Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher apology video, the housing bill, Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner update, Unmarked Graves, Timothy Chalamet and Kylie and the Spanish Kiss latest update. But first we would like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we're recording today, the Gadigal people, and pay our respect to elders past and present. But before we get into the actual headlines, what is your personal headline of the week? My personal headline is that I got the first physical copy of my book <gasps> on Friday afternoon. And it was quite wonderful. And then actually, I think my most exciting bit was that it was really weird over the weekend because I didn't show anyone. And then I like took it to my best friend and gave her her copy and she's like reading it now. And we had lots of red wine last night and I'm really struggling this morning. But it was nice. It was really nice. That is so exciting. Was it really surreal to just hold it? I think it was weird that I hadn't shown anyone. So I just had this thing in my house and I was like, I don't really just want to be the only person possessing it. So I was like, can someone just take it off me? Like, and like make it a real thing by showing someone. So it was nice to give it to her and her. To, I don't know if she started reading it. She she's probably just pretending, but no, <laughs> no she's, she's not. not. But it was so funny because like my best friends are like, I don't know if I can read it because I already know you, and that's a bit weird. So I don't expect my friends and family to read it. It's kind <laughs> of weird, but they will. I'm sure they will. I think but they will. It's a bit stressful to me more than the public reading it is like the people I love reading it. I think is freaking me out. Let that sink in that you're like 25. And a published author <sighs> with an actual physical book. <laughs> that is yeah. insane. Yeah, it's, it is insane. It is. And it's really exciting. you got to re- remind yourself that. That is insane. Two weeks today. So I think, unfortunately, my personal headlines for the next few weeks are going to be about this. But it is, I'm trying to like just sit in the like happiness of it. What about you? <laughs> you can't be like, I have a book and then I'm be so like, sorry. and what have you done this week? And I'm like, I nice. went to Queensland. <laughs> I still think that's really fun. It was really fun. I went to Burley Heads for the weekend and it was really fun. But that's actually not the headline I want to talk about. What I want to talk about, because I'm not allowed to talk about it oh later in the God. episode. Oh, God. Yeah, I've banned. Is, is Olivia Rodrigo's album came out. I love it. Have you listened to it at all? No. I listened to it the first round and I was like, ah, oh, I like it. I don't know if I love it. Listen to it 17 more times, fully on board. That's how I feel about all new albums. I'm always got these high expectations because you don't know the song yet. It's really oh. hard to react live. What I would like is for you to give me your top three or four that I can listen to first. Oh, let me. Is that okay? L- of course I can do I, it. Okay. I, was, I was hoping you oh, would. Um... Say less. <laughs> I, <laughs> Get Him Back Okay. is really fun. Like once you learn the lyrics, it's really fun. It's essentially all like a double meaning because she's like, I want to get him back because I hate him. But she's also like, I want him back. <laughs> Like, all the lyrics are, like, double meaning. (laughs) Oh, it's really fun. The other one I really like is The Grudge. That's, like, her, like, ballad one, but it's really really It's, like, a trader. It's giving trader vibes, I would say. That's that's my favourite song on the other one that she has. Is it Sour? Is that what it's called? Yes. I also like Teenage Dream, and I like Love is Embarrassing. Okay. Sarah, this is why I go to you. Thank you for being the expert. You're welcome. That's my... Should we get into the actual stories? Let's get into it. (laughs) That 70s show star Danny Masterson has been sentenced to 30 years to life in prison after being convicted of two counts of rape. Buckle in for this story. I know that's a ridiculous thing to say, but like you'll understand what I mean. This covers so many different angles. It goes in about 100 different directions. 
It is truly insane. I have been excited for this for days. And sorry, not excited. It's a horrible no, story, you'll obviously. You know what we mean when we get But anyone it. who's been online in the last five days has been, oh, I've been swamped by it. So I'm just so keen to hear you unpack yes, it all. I've been down a rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. Many a. Many a rabbit holes. Mm. Come on the journey. <laughs> a rabbit hole. So rabbit good. <laughs> Firstly, if you need a refresher on who Danny Masterson is, he was one of the lead actors in the sitcom of that 70s show. He played Stephen. Um, the cast, of course, also included Topher Grace, Ashton Kutcher, Mila Kunis, and Laura Pepron. And the show was a huge hit with 200 episodes from 1998 to 2006. Did you ever watch that 70s show? No. Really? Yes. It was like just one of those TV shows that just played when you put Foxtel on kind of thing. Yeah, see, I never watched it. I know the characters. Someone once told me I'm like Donna, but isn't she just tall? <laughs> she is tall. <laughs> Honestly, the only takeaway I have from that is Ashton and Mila, and Mila was really young. That's like my she only was. memory of this show. She was. So can we start, can you just explain to me what's happened with this trial? Yes. So three women are involved. He's only convicted of two, but he was charged for three. Yep. We'll come back to that. But the two women who he was convicted for said that he drugged and raped them in separate incidents between 2001 and 2003 at his house in Hollywood Hills. That's sort of the height of his That 70s Show fame Mm -hmm. as well. He's been in custody since May. The judge has denied his lawyer's motion for a new trial. He must now also register as a sex offender. And the case, I think, as part of this story, the case has also stirred controversy around the Church of Scientology. Mm. He's actually a Scientologist, and that is where him and his victims met. And what is being sort of debated now is if the church discouraged the women from coming forward. Holy shit, I didn't know this. Yes. So that's another whole side element to it. Yeah. Another whole element. But what everyone is talking about right now really is Mila and Ashton. <laughs> they... Both wrote character references in for Danny for the judge to take into consideration prior to his sentencing. So for people who don't know, a character letter or a character reference, which is what Mila and Ashton have provided to the judge, is something that occurs and is provided post-conviction. Yeah. So he's been found guilty. That's not what's in question. It's not that he has been, you know, during the course of the trial, it's been given as evidence to his like, good character. It's that he's been convicted. And what these letters are used for is generally to try and Uh, reduce the sentence that they face by providing a broader context to the perpetrator's life. Yeah, which I think is important to know. Like, I don't know what I was saying before. Like, I think I'm just used to watch, like, watching the movies where it's like, you're guilty, 30 years. (laughs) And, like, it doesn't happen like that. They go away, they figure out the sentencing, and then they come back. So an excerpt from Ashton's letter read, Danny takes his job seriously. He is kind, courteous, and hardworking. He treated everyone from the grips to the actors, to the caterers as equals. As a role model, note, role model, that comes back, Danny has consistently been an excellent one. Mila's read, amazing friend, confidant, and above all, an outstanding older brother figure. His genuine concern for those around him and his commitment to leading by example make him an outstanding role model and friend. Both calling him role models. Yeah, it's really fascinating. It is. I also think what's particularly wild about Ashton's letter in particular is that it was not that he didn't believe the judgment. 
He says, while I'm aware that the judgment has been cast as guilty on two counts of rape by force and the victims have a great desire for justice, I do not believe he is an ongoing harm to society and having his daughter raised without a present father would be a tertiary injustice in and of itself. That is incredibly high-level claim. Yeah, so... It's weird. So pretty much what he's saying is that he does believe it and he knows what he's capable of, but he wants him to just not go to prison because he just doesn't believe he's an ongoing threat. I also just want to interject here and say something similar happened recently with Iggy Azalea and that was mm. over Tory Lanes. Yeah. And one of the things I think is crucial is often when character letters are provided, I think that the people providing them believe they have some sort of anonymity or yes. confidentiality around the letter. They were not expecting this to go public. Yeah. And I don't, I think that if they knew what was going to happen, they wouldn't have done it. Mm. And I think that's something to be said is that often it's like, I'm happy to support this person, but I don't want to do it publicly because that's tarnishing my reputation. But I'm willing to say X, Y, and Z about this person because I think it's just between me and the judge. And I, I think, think I'm just helping a mate. It almost make, makes it worse. It does. It <laughs> makes it so much worse. Yeah. Obviously, people were pretty outraged by this. It resulted in Ashton Miller then having to post an apology video after they faced so much backlash. And in the video, they explained that they had been asked to write the letters to characterize, to quote, the person that we knew for 25 years so that the judge could take that into full consideration relative to the sentencing. They then went on to say that the letters were not written to question the legitimacy of the judicial system or the validity of jury's ruling. They were intended for the judge to read and not to undermine the testimony of the victims or re-traumatize them in any way. Went on to say, we would never want to do that. We're sorry if that has taken place. Followed by saying that they support victims. The response, pretty quickly, obviously everyone wasn't that impressed with the apology video. And one of the women that Masterson was convicted of raping, Jane Doe, told a journalist to quote, this video was incredibly insulting and hurtful. My hope is that they learn radical accountability and the importance of self-education to learn when to keep their privilege in check, especially Ashton, who claims to work with victims of sex crimes. And as to Mila, I can only think of Time's Up. Hmm. Then Chrissy Bixler. Now this is... And like kind of where this is where it gets rabbit holy, yep. essentially. So Chrissy was the long-term girlfriend of Danny. They dated from 1995 to 2002. She was also the third case against Danny. However, the jury did not find him guilty. Um, I think that's just because it's tough to give evidence when you are in a long-term relationship. Like, yeah. it's nearly the impossible The circumstances around sexually violent crimes are more difficult in those circumstances. Yeah. After she found out about Asha Mila's letters, she took to her Instagram stories and she said this. <clears throat> Dear Ashton, I know the secrets your role model keeps for you, ones that would end you. Did you forget I was there? You were on speakerphone that night when you called Danny on Feb 21st, 2002. I heard everything. I heard the plan. In my opinion, you're just as sick as your mentor. And then she went on to say, Dear Mila, I pray you begin to process what you experienced as a child on that set. Your old interviews are very telling. I also know what happened in Toronto and after. Question, is that what you view as a normal relationship with a big brother figure? Then I feel very sad for you and I hope you consider getting into therapy. You must forget that I was there the whole time those first five years on that 70s show. I remember everything. <sighs> Whoa. That's Huge. explosive. Explosive. There's more. 
She then posted a photo of the cast at the Celebrity Centre of Scientology together on stage. She then followed it with, you'll want to ask Ashton if he remembers that orchestrated meeting between himself, January Jones, Laura Pepron and me that took place in my, parentheses, Danny Masterson's living room in 1998. I know your secrets, your role model keeps. Hashtag hidden cameras. Holy Jesus. Yeah. Huge. Okay. Let's unpack that. <laughs> um, I admit, I don't really know what the latest post insinuates with the Scientology in that like last Instagram story, apart from that just clearly she's saying something shady was going on. January Jones was dating Ashton Kutcher at the time, so I think that's how she comes into it. Laura Pepron is who played Donna on the show. She was also part of Scientology, and she dated Danny's brother for years. So that's how they're all crossing paths, I I would say. But yeah, don't really know about that one. Also, in her direct address to Mila, I think that was really full on. I think we do forget and we have, you know, we've said already in this, but she was only 14 when she joined the set. So a lot younger than the rest of the cast. I think she's insinuating that something happened there. Yes. But don't know. However, the biggest takeaway in all of that is when Chrissy mentions Ashton And the date, February 21st, 2001. Holy shit. Here we go. So what happened on that date? On that date, 22-year-old Ashley Ellerin was stabbed to death in her Hollywood home on the same evening she was supposed to go on her very first date with Ashton Kutcher. Oh, my God. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, Ashton was never arrested or suspected of the murder. He actually became a witness in the trial. And this man named Michael Gardulo was the one arrested. And Michael was then named by the media as the Hollywood Ripper. What a name. So Michael murdered three women and attempted to murder a fourth. The first victim was a 19-year-old called Trisha, who was a family friend of his back in 1993. After that, he then fled to LA, which is where he met Ashley. He became a aircon repairman in LA and he met Ashley when she needed help fixing her tire. Okay. And he sort of became part of her circle a little bit. He'd show up and was like hanging around her a lot. So Ashley was described as very popular, uh, very outgoing, and she was friends with a few different celebrities. Her friend found her dead in her apartment the following morning. She had been stabbed 47 times. Fucking hell. I know. Police obviously first questioned Ashton, learning that he was supposed to be on a date with her. What he told police was that he was at a party that night before he was supposed to go on the date and that he called her around 8.20pm and said he was going to be running late and she said, that's fine, I've just got out of a shower, I still need to wash my hair. He then didn't get to her home until around 10.30pm. Side note, bad date, I would say, running very late for that date. Terrible date. That's immediately where my mind went. Yes. He saw that the lights were on and no one answered the door. And so he looked through the window and noticed what he thought at the time was a red wine stain. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm with you. You're with me? Yep. Eventually, the Hollywood Ripper was caught and they were able to link the DNA evidence to all the crime scenes as the fourth victim actually managed to survive and he scratched him. And that's how they were able to start linking between again after Ashley and then attempted to kill a fourth time. And that's... Anyway, back to Ashton and Chrissy Bixler. So it's uncertain what Chrissy is insinuating with her post. We don't really know. However, of course, people do have a conspiracy. (laughs) And mainly this conspiracy has been explained by a guy called Aaron Smith Levin, who is a friend of Chrissy's. And he posted on YouTube seven months ago claiming what really happened that night. So he did like a 
story on YouTube explaining. Again, according to him. He alleges that Ashton actually did walk into Ashley's place that night and found her dead on the floor. He walked out, sat in his car for an hour, freaked out, called his team, and essentially his team told him, do not call the police. You do not want your name tied to this murder. Their reasoning apparently being is that he was an up-and-coming actor. This would ruin his career. He then called Danny Masterson for advice, which is, again, that's what Chris is insinuating. I was on loudspeaker. I heard the plan. So that's what people are linking. Yep. He also goes on to criticise this guy, YouTube guy, that if Ashton had allegedly not lied, then the police may have caught him and he may not have killed again. I see. Right. So that's that whole side story of what she is potentially Yeah. So, so if I've got this right, the insinuation is the reason Ashton and Mila may have provided these character letters is because he was protecting Danny Masterson because he'd helped him out in this situation that is alleged to have occurred. Who knows? Yeah. Another thing worth noting here is um, Topher Grace, who played Eric on the show, who is the main main character of it. Yep. It was always reported and quite widely known that he, during shooting, didn't really get along with the rest of the cast and he, to quote, isolated himself And it was reported that the set was pretty clicky. Okay. Chrissy has gone on to post that Ashton and Danny weren't very nice to him and that the rest of the set just sort of followed behind Danny. She even went as far as to say that Danny was a bit of a cult leader on the set. And that as Danny's girlfriend, if she said hi to Topher, that Danny would kind of get mad at her. Right. So it's like bullying and it's like, yeah, yeah it's, it's exactly clicky. That. It's clicky. And I think what kind of give credit to that is that Topher's wife right now, Ashley Hinshaw, has come out and posted in support of the victims. Oh. And she said, to every rape victim that is re-traumatized by witnessing society debate and focus their attention on what is going to happen to the rapist, I see you. Love heart emoji. Chrissy then reposted that to her own stories in support of her. So I think... Yeah, it's just so messy, all of this. Thoughts on this? It's just a lot to unpack. I don't even know where to start. Well, it's so much to unpack and obviously it's going to keep going, right? I think this is just a horrible conversation because what we're seeing in the media as a response to this, one, is just a lot of allegedlies, but two, convicted rapists being a source of debate and conversation when it's not. You could almost put this story in like four different categories. Yes. And like there is the whole... Hollywood Ripper, there's Scientology, there's Ashton Mila as their own thing, and then there's just the trial yeah. and the victims of that, and they shouldn't be out trying to outdo each other. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so complicated and there's so much to unpack, but I think it serves as an example, again, of this idea that people aren't fundamentally good or bad, and it's weird and strange the way that society then starts debating whether someone is a good person or not when they've been convicted of something so heinous like this. Yeah. Um, Christina Ricci, who's an actress, I, she was like the original Wednesday. Oh, yeah. I think she must have known these guys. She made a really good post, which to sum it up, she pretty much was like, I know he was your friend. I know he was a good guy to you. That doesn't take away from what's happened to them. Yeah. I think that's the bottom line. Yeah. I think it makes me sick. I It actually does make me feel sick because I just think it's, again, the people that become the centre of this story 
but are the ones who are most harmed by it are victims again. Like, mm. as much as Ashton and Mila probably feel like they're the victims of this story, I think that actual victims of sexual violence are just once again being, like, shoved into the spotlight and told to make their pain, like, credible for people to be believed. And I just mm. think it's sad. This case isn't a case of, like, do you believe it, do you not? He was convicted. Yeah. It was guilty. Do you know how much evidence you would need to get 30 to life? Yeah. It's, it's serious. It's such a serious violation and mm. it's such a serious crime. It might not be as juicy as Olivia Rodrigo and Taylor Swift or Joni Jonas and Sophie Turner, but the drama between Labor and the Greens has come to a surprising end after a deal was struck on Labor's contentious housing bill yesterday. Now, with a slight change of pace, <laughs> I would suggest, I'm going to say from the outset, please stay with me. I know that housing sounds like snooze town, but this is juicy goss. It yeah. is. In the political world, it is juicy, and I'm going to explain why. So for the last few months, Labor have not been able to pass their signature housing bill because they did not have the support from the Greens that they required to pass legislation through both houses. The bill will invest $10 billion in social and affordable housing. I think the Daily Oz did a really good explainer on the distinct types, so what social and affordable housing means. So social housing is delivered by state and territory governments and charities with some federal funding. Affordable housing is housing which is offered for rent at below market rates mm -hmm. by both companies that are for-profit and community organisations. Now, this is where I feel like people get lost immediately. The $10 billion isn't just being given to build and construct this housing. It's actually being invested in a future fund. Right. What's a future fund? So a future fund is basically like a government-run fund, like any other investment fund. But it, there's many that already exist, and they're used for things like natural disaster relief. But what I want to make clear, and this is interesting, I don't think people understand it, is that when they say they're investing $10 billion in social and affordable housing, they're actually investing in the fund. But it's not that the fund means that there'll be $10 billion going towards this. It means that every year the returns on the fund will go towards social and affordable housing. So oh. do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not $10 billion. Initially, Labor actually didn't commit to a minimum basis of how much the fund would return and therefore how much they would invest in social and affordable housing. But then the Greens have come in and started pressuring them and saying, well, we're not going to help you pass this legislation unless you make some bare-bones commitments, right? So the first one was that Labor said at a baseline, there'll be a $500 million return in the 24-25 financial year that goes towards social and affordable housing. And so that commitment meant that over the first five years, the fund would build 20,000 social housing properties with 4,000 of those to be allocated for women and children fleeing domestic violence and for older women on low incomes at risk of homelessness. And then another 10,000 on top of that would be available for frontline workers. Okay. So we're sounding good. We're sounding fine. Does that sound good? Yes. So how come support from the Greens matter? Do they need that to be able to pass? Yeah. So the coalition doesn't support the bill, the coalition being Liberals and the Nationals. Mm -hmm. Their classic line of argument is that they don't want to spend it on social and affordable housing, this money, and it's a cost to taxpayers, right? But this means that Labor don't have the support that they need to pass the bill through both houses. Specifically, the Senate's the issue here. So what they need in the Senate is the support of at least two independents and the Greens. They've already got David Pocock and the Jackie Lambie Network, which is two senators. So they're fine on that front, but they still needed the Greens. Mm -hmm. This bill has been delayed for months because of the Greens, right? So the gossip basically... And I, it is gossip. But I, what, I, what Greens is pushing for is a fair call. Yeah, and what the Greens want is either a national rent freeze... National rent freeze. I know. That Look would at your be face, excellent. young lip. Oh, I thought you were going to say... And I thought, you were, I thought your face was like, yuck. No, no, yeah, no. Yeah, I yeah. was like, I would love that. Yeah, so, <laughs> so the Greens... And it's, it's, I love this. So... They already have the Senate support they need, but the Greens have been holding them up. And there's been one particular Greens member. His name's Max Chandler Mather. He's mm -hmm. an MP in 
inner city Brisbane. Mm-hmm. But basically, Max Chandler-Mather is the Greens spokesperson on housing. And he has been aggressively going at Albo for months, right, about this. And he, like, he has built genuinely a significantly bigger public profile at a national level through this bill. And so we've seen this tension over the past few months because what happens is the Labor Party goes, the Greens are stopping practical measures from being implemented. And this is all just like a political gain for them, that it's going to the media to get attention and build a profile. And the Greens are saying, no, we want a national rent freeze or for you to cap rent increases to help the third of Australians who are renters, right? Mm. Now, I think I'm a renter, you're a renter. Yes. So I think for me, I go, yes, this would be great. But Labor is, as much as they're claiming to be a more progressive party, this is the tension is that Labor and the Greens are like kind of fighting it out and Labor saying you're just sort of positioning for the media and the Greens are saying, no, we want you to take tangible action to help people who are struggling. Mm. But Labor's claim is also that it wouldn't help the market, like it wouldn't long-term help people. If And here's one of the interesting things. What I'm finding a lot of state governments are doing instead of actually implementing something helpful, Labor state governments, what they're implementing is policy that's to the effect of okay, instead of allowing landlords to increase rent at any point, they can only do it once a year. Mm. And everyone else with a brain is going... That just means a huge increase yeah, once a year. you're not actually capping how much by, you're just saying, oh, make it a shitload when you do decide. Yeah. And so it's not actually helpful. So... They've been at this stalemate for months. In June, Labor tried to win over the Greens and end this war by announcing an additional $2 billion fund, which is called the Social Housing Accelerator. Basically, the $2 billion fund will be delivered to the state and territory governments within two weeks of the commitment, um, and those governments will be allowed to decide how they boost housing stock. So it could be new builds, expanding programs, renovating or refurbishing homes that are uninhabitable at the moment. So there's like a heap of choices they could make, and that's just been distributed, right? Okay. The Greens still didn't budge. I like that from them. Yeah, same. So then we see this political warfare continue to go on where Labor is accusing Greens of just blocking the bill and the Greens are saying, bullshit, do something tangible. We won't stop until we see these rent freezes, right? This whole thing. And then I did see, I have to be honest, I haven't been following this, but I did see something happen yesterday. So yes, yesterday Labor and the Greens struck a deal and the bill will now pass Parliament and become we law. We Yes. And so basically what the deal includes is an additional $1 billion towards public and community housing this year. But no rent freeze. And that was kind of their thing that they were like, we won't budge. So what's interesting is Max Chandler-Mather has also come out since the announcement and said, this is only the start of our fight for rent freezes. And I'm like, oh, it kind of looks like it's over to me. Like, I just think you've <laughs> passed it and you've agreed. But it, what it appears from the outside is that something's happened in the Greens party room where potentially the leader, Adam Bant, has been like, we've got to let this go because it's gone on for too long. The bill has to pass and this is good enough. And I think that the argument that the Greens constantly face, which is important to just like add here, is that the major criticism of the Greens is like, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Right. And it's this idea that, like, well, just get something through that's good enough instead of fighting for perfect p- for perfection, which we're not going to achieve. We need slow progress, blah, blah, blah. I personally don't see rent freezing or an, a, a capped increase amount as perfect. I see it as pretty bare minimum, and I think Labor's been pretty pathetic throughout this whole ordeal. And the way that Albo... not budge on it. Also, like, I've actually quite enjoyed watching... Max Chandler may just be a thorn in Anthony Albanese's side. And it's really interesting the way that Albo has responded to him. I've actually been pretty disappointed by the conduct. I think that the Greens weren't actually asking for that much. I don't think it was perfect. I think Labor have failed. And I think we should be all talking about it. Because I think that with housing, like a lot of other political 
Um, you switch off. Yeah, you switch off. But this is important. This affects most of us. You know, this people listening, this affects most of you. Especially I, I would, renters. Exactly. That's all we can ever talk about is exactly. how expensive it We're is to rent Sydney. right now. We live in Sydney. Like, it's going to be our life. You know that came out, a report came out this week that Sydney is less affordable than, than London, London and, New York. and New York. Yeah, I read that too. There'll be more unfolding on this, but the latest news is the bill will pass and the deal has been struck and that's big news. Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner are most definitely getting a divorce. TMZ deserves a Pulitzer Prize. I'm eating my own hat and I promise to never badmouth the respected publication outlet ever again. Slay, Sarah. That is justice being served. That is accountability for myself. Accepted? Can I just say in my defence... Joe's PR team was an absolute fuck around with this last They're continuing to be an absolute fuck around, I would suggest. Like, what was with posting all of Joe's wedding ring content before? Like, he was posting photos day before being like, here is my ring. New theory is... Joe just probably really liked that photo of himself and realised he only had 24 hours to post it before the court document was released confirming that the divorce was happening and it would be even weirder. And that's the most likely theory right now. Surely his team would be able to edit the ring out of the shot, though. Like, sure, like, it's just, it's just <laughs> awkward. Anyways. It's so funny. Anyways, the couple confirmed the rumours with a joint statement last week on both of their Instagrams, saying, After four wonderful years of marriage, we have mutually decided to amicably end our marriage. There are many speculative narratives as to why, but truly this is a united decision and we sincerely hope that everyone can respect our privacy for us and our children. Honestly, when you read shit like that, you're like, sounds like it wasn't amicable. Like, the more that you try to drive home the amicable, it's like that couple that posts, like, 80 times a year about each other, and it's, like, lots of ups and downs with this one, and you're like, (laughs) you know they're just, like, the worst relationship alive. I agree. Yeah, I would say this drama is probably far from over. The speculative narratives they speak of are in overdrive, and I think what's interesting about these speculative narratives is that they seemingly are being peddled majority from Joe's PR team and TikTok is calling it a smear campaign. TikTok would. Pretty much what's being fed by closed sources and pretty much people saying is like closed sources really just means someone's PR team. Mm -hmm. Like we don't know for sure but like wink it's someone's PR team. The main thing is that she is this big party animal and like kind of painting her as like a bad mum and she just loves to go party and Joe's being left with the kids. He's on tour. Yeah. Also, can I just say, like, it doesn't seem true. Like, a lot of people have dug up old interviews, ones where, you know, it's like those TikTok challenges. It's like, who's the homebody in the relationship? Like, who's the messiest? Like, you know that one? They've done those before. And it's like, who's the homebody? And he points to Sophie. And then she did an interview over COVID where she was like, I am such an introvert. I am such a homebody. This quarantine's actually been great because Joe is such a social butterfly and all he wants to do is go out. So it's like prison for him, but this is great for me. Oh, Which, so it's God. Like, I know. So it's like that that doesn't seem to add up with what they've said in the past, that no. she's this like crazy party animal. On that, even if that is the truth, kind of fair, I would say, because I think we forget like she was only like 19 when they got together and he was 26. I, okay, stop. Yeah. Don't like that. 1926. I just think there's a massive gap there. And I think that women between the ages of like, especially like 18 to 22, don't date Let men that are more than five out. years older like, than you. It's not good. Anyway, I, sorry. We that's said my this personal last opinion. Week, personal opinion. Age gaps, big conversation themselves. Interesting one because I don't think there is like a right or wrong, but for me there's a right or wrong. I think, <laughs> like, I think like under the age of 25, avoid... I think you're, it's formative years, and I think that dating someone significantly older than you is a waste of time. Hot <laughs> take. Anyways. Hot take. But they were also married within, like, 10 months. 
when she was 19. Mm -hmm. Why the fuck do I never know this until this point? And they were, like, sorry, engaged within 10 months. And then she had her first child at just 24 years old. What? So she's now 27. A child bride. (laughs) She's a child bride. But... If she needed to go enjoy her 20s and party, that checks out to me. I'm simply sickened. I don't think that is the narrative, but I think fair enough if it also was. Anyway. Oh, for God's sake. The latest update, however, is this. Look, if you don't hear it from these lips, don't believe it, okay? Oh, I don't like that. Yeah. Another tidbit in this unfolding drama is that then randomly, Zoe 101 star tweeted after all this news came out and said, I met Joe Jonas when we were teens, and let's just say he's a guy who wore a purity ring but asked for nudes. Oh, I'm nauseous. This is fucking gross. Well, I'm sorry, but that doesn't... The purity ring sent me. Oh, they all wore them. There were just a few things that really stuck with me as news stories, like, during a trial. Like, I would say Tiger Woods cheating on his wife for some reason... The Jonas Steve Brothers. Irwin's death and then Jonas Brothers taking off their purity rings. Like, lost my mind. <laughs> so true. I would say on all of this, if it's true that it's coming from Joe's camp, and I think this is the point TikTok's making as well, Joe's PR team is severely underestimating how much cooler Sophie Turner is than Joe Jonas. Like, yes, he's the bigger name, but at the end of the day, and I'm not saying I don't love Joe Jonas. Burning Up is one, a 10 out of 10 song, loved Camp Rock. However... He is a Disney Channel family band. She is Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is cool. She is Queen of the North. I wouldn't fuck with her. I'm about to break my silence. I, love- I didn't realise you had silence. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had silence before. I love the song Burning Up, but mm-hmm. I think they can't sing. <laughs> they are so bad. Their entire discography I- is... Uh, that's it. That's literally it for like... Songs and songs and songs. I can't wait to watch this man's downfall. They have never been able to sing. <laughs> they have never. They have never been able to sing. Camp Rock I, sucks. I can't. I can't. I actually don't want you to badmouth all of Jonas Brothers because I think Kevin has simply done nothing wrong ever. Kevin, Nick, and Frankie are fine people, but Joe always sus to me. Okay, sorry. We can keep going. I really um, apologize for that. I didn't know I had that in me. I would also. Like to shout out how many great memes have come from this. Let me talk you through a few of my favorite. Because <clears throat> it's all spec, it's all going off like the sources, like sources say, sources say. Joe Jonas was sick of Sophie putting glasses on the top shelf that he couldn't reach. TMZ reports. Oh, that's sad. Joe Jonas was tired of Sophie Turner holding the TV remote up out of his <laughs> that ring, me. which prevented him of being able to change the channel, TMZ reports. Sophie Turner went to the year 3000 and claimed that his great-great-great-granddaughter wasn't doing fine, a source tells That's TMZ. That's really good. <laughs> anyway, sadly, I predict this is all going to get a lot more messy. I really hope, as a Taylor Swift fan herself, Sophie Turner, that she is playing Mr. Perfectly Fine on full volume somewhere. Oh, Sarah, you've outdone yourself. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Trigger warning before the next headline. This next story contains information regarding the deaths of children and babies. The Guardian has reported that as many as 400 Aboriginal children and babies are likely to have been buried in unmarked graves at three former church-run West Australian government missions. 
So the Guardian Australia has spent the last year investigating missions and institutions in Western Australia where children were taken from their families and incarcerated as part of the Stolen Generations. Now, I want to briefly explain what that was because I think we hear the term a lot, but the Stolen Generations were a period of time under Australia's assimilation laws, which spanned six decades between 1910 and 1970. And during this period, as many as one in three Indigenous children were removed from their families. It's important to note that this wasn't long ago. 1970 was not a long time ago. And no. this impact is not intergenerational. It still impacts people who are alive today. Yeah. Um, it's very much part of our current history. God, you do forget, like, my mum was born in 1970. Yeah. So this is very much a part of our current history and mm. intergenerational trauma, but also people alive today. Mm-hmm. So during this period, children were put into institutions, fostered or adopted out to non-Indigenous families. Many suffered abuse, degrading treatment, including sexual abuse and physical abuse, and were frequently sort of indoctrinated into this belief system that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people were inferior to white people or that their parents were dead or didn't want them. Like, this is one of the most shameful parts of Australian history that we do not talk about enough. So what is this specific story about? Yeah, so until the 1970s, Indigenous children were taken to specific institutions and reserves as part of these government assimilation policies that formed part of the Stolen Generations. And these reserves were often unsanitary, overcrowded, and just really poor living conditions which resulted in the deaths. Mm. So these particular three missions in Western Australia resulted in what the Guardian's investigation is estimating at 740 deaths, right? The majority of them very young, so under the age of five. They're estimating for at least 400. Essentially what we're looking at is these babies and kids were buried with no record. Mass grave. Yes. Essentially, at these three sites. Three sites alone, hundreds, right? Um, The investigation looked at a range of public records and then examined the records of those who were recorded as having died. So the gap here, there were no official burial records that corresponded to the marked graves. Mm. What survivors are calling for here, there's some people that are calling for the site to be excavated, for the bodies to be identified, and then the remains of those bodies to be repatriated to the communities. Um, But some people are actually requesting that the graves be provided with appropriate recognition and that the area itself be fixed up. But I think that this is just a horrific story. But I also think it's underreported. Like, I don't think enough people are talking about this. And it's, it's deeply sad. It's a part of our history. And I think it was really important that we discuss it. Girls are understandably upset that their favourite iron-deficient white boy is off the market after Timothy Chalamet and Kylie Jenner made their public debut last week at a Beyoncé concert. This is awful, this story. I uh, Really? Oh, Jesus. Okay. He everyone, is such a mouse. <laughs> and everyone seems to be equally excited and perplexed by this news. I feel like I've seen footage of them hooking up at this concert from every single angle against my will. Everything I learn about them is against my will. <laughs> Are you not, do you not into Timothy Chalamet at all? I love little women. Same. But that's about it. He doesn't do it for you, though. No, definitely, definitely not. He doesn't not. do it for you. I'm a large woman. <laughs> I would that snap a that boy. Way to describe no, myself. but what I, like, I just, like, look at someone like him and I'm like, you would be crushed. He looks like he wouldn't survive the winter. <laughs> that's a, and my exact type, and this is a joke, this is actually a joke that you've said this, because my best friend and I have the exact same type, and our type we describe as man who looks like he could survive a winter. He could. Yeah. I want someone with a little bit of a belly that 
Timothy snapped in half, baby. You, you're like a stocky boy. Yeah, I do. Uh, okay. I do. You're like a rugby player. Yeah, I, I, very much, Sarah. <laughs> very. It's unfortunate that I am one straight two into rugby players. <laughs> but we continue on. And here we are. Here we are. Anyways, back to Kylie and Timmy. People just didn't expect Kylie Jenner to be his type. And I think that's what the original confusion from these guys. They were like, what do you mean he's dating Kylie Jenner? Like, this doesn't make sense. He, like, why would he date Kylie Jenner? He's meant to be this, like, very serious A-list actor. Although, shout out to this creator called Fluently Forward, who I looked at her videos and they made me laugh so much because she pretty much explained that everyone is stupid because Kylie is actually 100% his type. Like, if you look at his exes, they include Madonna's daughter, Lords Leon, another fave Nepo baby, Lily Rose Depp, Actress Isa Gonzalez, who kind of looks like Kylie Jenner, and then influencer Sarah Talabi. I didn't know that Nepo Baby was a type. It's just looking at trends in these people, and that is a common thread. Slay. All right. So I don't, on, think like, I don't think it's like attracted to, but there's a common thread there. <laughs> okay, sorry, I'm with I would you. say. To quote her, I think it's a little sexist that everyone is like, oh my God, he was in Call Me By Your Name, so he actually needs to be dating a mannequin from anthropology. Jesus. <laughs> the twist is, though, he is not. Her type. Let's look at her dating history. It's Faye or Faye, pronouncing it wrong, Drake, Jaden Smith, Cody Simpson, Tiger, Travis Scott. Now, except for Cody Simpson, these are like rappers. Cody Simpson? I thought his big ticket was Miley Cyrus. No, Kylie Jenner was the original. Original. I didn't know that. He also dated Gigi Hadid for ages. (gasps) Sarah, I'm so sorry. I'm such a silly Billy compared to you. <laughs> Just like, read the Just news. like, shut the fuck up, idiot. I also think in all of this, it's going to be interesting to see how he goes as a, as a father figure to Kylie's kids. Like, I know Kylie is technically younger than him, but I think because she's like a mother, I think of her as older in a way. Whereas Timothy Chalamet, you know, as people have pointed out jokingly and pointed fun at, he famously gave everyone the clap at NYU like three years ago. I remember this story. <laughs> Which one's the clap again? Gonorrhea. You're a genius. Yeah. Anyway, so you know what I mean? They like, she was having a child and being a mother and he, like, you know, what I, that's a shift for him. I just think it's funny. I think it's a sleigh. I quite like them together. I did have another giggle at this other meme. I, there's just been so many memes about this, but the one I thought was the funniest was... Do you think Kylie's Italian greyhounds look at Timothy and just assume that he's their biological father? (laughs) (laughs) Also, side note for Kylie, she posted a video and was spotted out with Jordan Woods again. Is that an ex? That was, no, that was the (laughs) ex-best friend that got with Chloe's... (gasps) Oh, Tristan? Yeah, Tristan, and then got shunned and was like, I have a new friend, Stassi, and you're out of my life forever, and now they're back together. I've never seen an episode of the Kardashians, so you have to really, really lead me through the story here. And you have, well... That's pretty much, that's actually the summary. No, it's great. Yeah. So, big year for Kylie. She's got a friend back, and she's Timothy Chalamet. Spanish Football Federation President Luis Rubiales has resigned from his position, saying in an interview with Piers Morgan that it is clear he cannot continue his work. Classic Piers Morgan. Classic. Rubiales' resignation comes after player Jenny Hermoso filed a formal criminal complaint against him last week after prosecutors opened a sexual assault case following the unsolicited kiss that took place during post-match celebrations after Spain won the FIFA Women's World Cup in Sydney in August. 
The statement is what I find really fascinating because in every sense it's bullshit and totally expected. So Rubiala said, After the rapid suspension carried out by FIFA, plus the rest of the proceedings opened against me, it is clear that I will not be able to return to my position. Insisting on waiting and clinging is not going to contribute anything positive, neither to the Federation nor to Spanish football, among other things because there are de facto powers that will prevent my return. Then, in an interview with everyone's favourite person, Piers Morgan, he said, I cannot continue my work. He said he had made the decision to resign after speaking with his friends and family. They said to me... Not the rest of the world pressuring I know, him. <laughs> but, and, you know, part of it is he has daughters. Oh, God. They said to me, Lewis, now you have to focus on your dignity and to continue your life. Because if not, you are probably going to damage people you love. In this situation now, this is the more intelligent thing that I have to do. His resignation comes after a long whirlwind of events. Go back and listen to our other episodes because we've recapped it multiple times. But it comes after sustained global pressure from the media, players, politicians and the public. There's also this added element where the Spanish prosecutor's office said on Friday that a complaint had been filed with the country's high court and there could be grounds to charge the former football chief with sexual assault as well as coercion. Now, because this occurred in Australia, but he's being charged in Spain, their high court actually has the powers to do this. They can charge him as a Spanish national, but there's a specific division that does it. And they have three strict criteria. So the alleged crime must be punishable in the country in which it has occurred, so Australian law. Um, The victim or prosecutors must have filed a complaint with Spanish courts. And the accused cannot have already been sentenced, pardoned or absolved for the same crime. Now, the Spanish court has asked Australian authorities for more information on our crimes against, what they describe as our crimes against sexual liberty, so sexual violence, crimes and misconduct. This would be either harassment, assault or misconduct of some form. And what kinds of penalties these crimes would incur. So whether that be a prison sentence. In Australia. Yes. Mm. So they're kind of using our law as a guideline for how they would prosecute him there because they can't, it has to have some sort of matchup or parallel, basically. The Australian police have said they will assist Spain with this investigation and give over any information or help required. So I think this will be the end of our following closely of this story. And if anything more unfolds in the Spanish courts and how this prosecution unfolds, which will happen, I would say, over the coming months, potentially years, because these things take time. Yeah. But this is serious and this is being pursued and he has resigned. And I think that that's what everyone was seeking. It was a drawn out process. It's pretty horrible that it takes this much public pressure at a global level for things to change and to occur. Yes. But I would also say from when this story first broke, the shock value and like he was not bowing down. And we really thought that was going to be the end of the story. The fact it's made it to this is insane. It is. And it is, you know, I think it proves that when there is sustained pressure, things happen and justice can be met in some sort of way. But can I just say, like, I think it's really brave. And I hate using that word because it sounds so like infantilizing, I think, but it is brave of Hermoso to make a criminal complaint because that's a big step. And, And it's really impressive that she's kept pursuing this, which she should and has every right to, but I think it's something to be commended. Okay, now we are at the Q&A section for this week. Uh, Thank you for everyone who wrote in stuff. Thank you for everyone that's been writing in on Thursdays and for getting involved on the Friday Q&As we've been doing on Instagram. If you haven't seen that, head over, send your questions in. Uh, It's bigsmalltalk underscore pod. Uh, But one of the questions we left out to answer in the pod this week was... Ashton Kutcher runs an anti-sex trafficking organisation. How could he defend a serial rapist? Pretty fair question. So if you didn't know, Ashton Kutcher has always been very commended for the work he's done 
with sex trafficking to prevent sex trafficking. Yeah, specifically child sex trafficking, but I think it has a broader focus as well. And the organisation that he works with or runs is called Thorn. And this is why this is an interesting question. I think that's why he's facing so much more backlash. And it's kind of like what we mentioned with the Lizzo story in our first episode, which is like when people who are claiming to be working hard in a particular area and being like that good person, do they have further to fall mm. from grace when something goes wrong? What, what are your thoughts on this? My thoughts on this is it's complicated. I really disagree with what he did writing those letters. And I totally get that it's jarring when someone who he has said for 20 years is one of his best friends, that you want to support them, you want to believe the good in someone, that you're shocked and I think I don't think he handled it right. But I think that needs to, in a lot of ways, still be separate from the good work he's done. I don't think you can unravel and undermine someone's good work on on what and I don't I'm not undermining what he's done with those letters so I think they're fucking awful but does that take away from other stuff or can is that allowed to live separately this is a this is a really good question I really love that take the thing I would come back with is like for me what it feels like often in these scenarios is that people not saying Ashton Kutcher, but people generally in these sort of spaces often thrive on being able to like define and keep at arm's length violent crimes or misconduct or bad behaviour. And so for me, it's like you're very good at identifying crime and abuse and child sexual abuse, child sexual abuse specifically mm. in a context outside of yourself, but when it's one of your friends, you crumble. Your morality is challenged and you crumble. And I'm interested in – I'm not trying to demonise him or say he's fundamentally bad for doing this. I disagree that he did it, that he provided the character letter. But from my perspective, I'm like I think that – it says so much about a person that they come out and front the media constantly with this really clear messaging of their morality and what work they're doing for good. Mm. And then when it comes to their private life and their friendships. It has leeway. Yeah, and that, that morality is suddenly crumbling and those values are suddenly not there anymore. And that's a big statement. I don't mm. want to put him in a box. Mm. But I think there's something to be said for, like, you being able to keep it at arm's length and suddenly when it's challenged and it's close to you, you're fine with it. It's kind of like the bystander effect and what are you okay with when no one's around to see you? What do you accept? What behaviour do you let walk past you? What behaviour do you let close to you? And I think that's the bigger question here too. I think what this shows is how complicated people are. Absolutely. And I think that people will say like, oh, are you trying to cancel him? No, no, that's not what I'm saying. But I think there's a difference between this idea of cancellation and fundamental social accountability. Yes. Thank you guys so much for listening again this week. Uh, we will see you next Tuesday. And of course, please follow us on bigsmalltalk underscore pod and tap the bell, follow, give five stars, whatever you need to do. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.